You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope we're zooming towards the NFL draft. So today we're going to take a look at top of the draft, uh, talk a little bit about uh, who might be in play, if there's any trades going on, and just about everything else. But we also, today, on Pros Like Us, it's a first. So let's go ahead and bring in our guest. He's the punter kicker, formerly of the Moorhead State Eagles and pride of Knoxville, Tennessee, number 47, Andrew Foster. Andrew, welcome to Pros Like Us. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. As far as I can tell, we're 87 episodes in. I think you are our first punter, kicker, specialist. How does that feel, being the first guy? Oh, that's pretty exciting. Fun little fact, you know. Glad to be the first for you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, evidently you've got some breaking news. What happened with you last night? So last night I signed a contract with the Montreal Alouettes in Canada to play in the CFL. Well, congratulations, young man. How do you feel? I'm very excited. I'm ready for the opportunity. Uh, I'm ready to get down there, show what I can do, and play some professional football. All right. When does uh, camp start? When do, you, when do you need to be there? Camp starts May 15th, so I got a, a little more than three weeks as far as the plans to get there. That has not been arranged yet. Well, we, we trust that'll happen for you. Uh, make sure you have plenty of masks. Get your uh, shots all updated and uh, <laughs> comply with all the all those Canadian rules they have. Let's take you back a bit. Again, we're very excited for you. Obviously, this is something that just came up. How did your football journey begin? I mean, it looks like you played soccer a little bit in your youth. How did your football journey begin? I did play soccer pretty much growing up my entire life. My junior year of high school, I was friends with some of the football players had classes with them and all that. And one guy just convinced me. He's like, Hey, we need a kicker. Like you got a really big leg. Why don't you come play? I was like, okay, that sounds fun. Little did I know I would be as good as I turned out to be just did it for fun and, and ran with it. Was there a particular time or event, a game, a practice, whatever, where it kind of crystallized for you? Like this is probably where my future is going to be. There was no specific moment um my high school coach begged me to let him do like college recruiting for football and I was like coach like soccer's where it's at and then there was just one day he made something happen and I was like oh like this could be real okay I guess we'll we'll look into it were you junior senior what what class were you then? that that was uh middle of my senior season did you ever have experience with football before? Did you ever play it, peewee, or, or like middle school before you tried out for, for the high school team? Nope, nothing. <laughs> no, just a soccer player. And then I was a goalkeeper, so I could punt the ball from one 18-yard box to the other. I mean, there's a video of me in high school scoring a goal from way beyond half field. And it's just I've always had a really strong leg, and then – my friends in high school saw that, and they just they convinced me. I played high school soccer as well, Andrew, but I've never seen that before. I've never seen a goal by one goalie, even in a high school game. How did <laughs> oh, yeah. that happen? 
Well, in high school, I had a lot more leeway than I did with club ball. So any free kick that we had in our defending half, I would just send all my teammates up, and then I would take a free kick in our half. And there was there was one time where I was setting it up, and our assistant coach looked at me and said, Drew, try to score. I said, like, okay. Didn't think it was going to work out the way it did. It was the one time that it actually worked, but we're not going to let that part be known. <laughs> So you just, you fired the ball, what, from like 40, 50 yards? Or what? Uh, no, it was closer to like 65, 70 yards. Did they not have a goalie? Did they not expect that you were just going to fire at the goal? I don't really know what the goalkeeper was thinking. He, as soon as I kicked it, I saw him kind of running out towards the edge of the box. And I was like, dude, that's way behind you. And then just dropped right in behind him. I was like, oh my God, that happened. It's exciting for any goalie to oh, score yeah. a goal. It doesn't matter where it is, elementary school, middle school, or high school. I mean, that's that, that's one for the books. Did anybody record it on their phone? Yeah, my, my dad got a video of it. I got that floating around somewhere. I'm sure it'd be pretty easy to find. As far as football is concerned, how did you wind up at Moorhead State? And were there some other schools that were interested? So coming out of high school, I only had two offers. One was to Wingate University, a Division II school, and then the other one was Moorhead State. Moorhead State came about that one of my teachers grew up with the, at the time, linebacker coach. So the linebacker coach, Coach Moore, was in Knoxville, and my teacher, who was his buddy, was just like, hey, I have a kid. Can you come look at him? And he stopped by. He looked at my film. The next day, I got an offer. And that was the end of it. Uh, that was the end yep. of the story. That's pretty much it. Took a couple of visits a few months later and then made my commitment, signed the letter. Obviously, you know, you've been a kicker, you've been a punter in college, but at Moorhead State, you set the record your senior year, and it's also a pioneer football league record with, with an average of 45.7 as a punter. And what did it feel like to get recognized more on the national side of things, you know, on the national scale, when you got some recognition as a senior? It was definitely exciting. I wasn't necessarily looking forward to those records. I was definitely trying to be an All-American. You know, the main goal was to come away with that FCS Punter of the Year award. You know, I was competing for a really long time. I was actually leading the country for multiple weeks, you know, kind of at different times, but... Didn't come through with it, but I'd definitely say I can look back at, at my career, my senior season, and be happy with it. So, Andrew, whether it's punting or kicking, there's such a low margin for error, right? I mean, you almost have to be perfect whenever you come on the field. What do you do to stay mentally ready? You know, my mom says that I'm like a duck in a pond. The water just you know, slides right off my back. I really don't think much about it. I've practiced so much. I've gotten to the point where I feel comfortable no matter the, the situation. You know, I just think it's kind of that. The more reps, the more, the more comfortable you get. You know, atmosphere doesn't really bother me that much. If anything, it helps me. I feel like my biggest games were against the, uh, the higher competition teams. And the other part of it is because I guess you're not necessarily doing a lot of things in practice like hitting or catching balls or throwing balls and so forth. It can be you know, a bit of a lonely position, again, from the outside looking in. How do you stay connected with your teammates? Locker rooms, definitely. <laughs> Locker rooms, game days, just try to be a guy. 
I'm a lot less of the uh, the super aggressive, like run your head through a wall kind of player, but I try to stay relaxed. I try to keep good energy around the field whenever I can. Well, I guess one thing that helps is your size. I mean, from what I'm looking at, 6'3", 225, you're like the size of a linebacker. So I'd imagine you you probably more so fit in with one of the guys rather than maybe the 5'10 kicker that goes about a buck 80, right? Um, oh, yeah. Any thoughts or your coaches ever think about putting you in a different position? In college, definitely not. In high school, I'm sure most of it was probably joking, but – some of the coaches are always like, you know, hey, you're you're not a kicker. Like, come come play all these other positions. It's like, no, I'm good. I just I like to swing the leg. I feel like I'm good at it. So you never had a desire to, you know, <laughs> line up over the ball and go smash somebody. <laughs> no, not quite. If it came to it on a kickoff or a punt return, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'd be able to lay it down. But yeah, no, no desire to to do it every day. So, Andrew, what do you think is your best trait as a specialist? I mean, is it just being cool and collected and calm under pressure? Um, yeah, I'd say so. You know, I feel like I'm a, a really consistent punter. I've gone to a few camps. I've competed with some of the, the top guys in the country at all divisions. You know, so definitely confidence, you know, being cool, collected, and then when my number is called, make it happen. During this off season, did you go to any of those all-star camps that they have, like in Arizona? They have punters and kickers. Did you compete there? Yeah, so I took an 11-day trip down to Phoenix, Arizona, um, and I competed in three different camps. Two of them were through Cole's Kicking Organization. They had a, a three-day training camp and then followed by their pro combine. The first day is all just charts and you know, getting a, a basis for yourself. And then if you qualified, the second day it was streamed on a YouTube video, and I qualified for that. And then the next weekend was the Zoner kicking camp, and I was also there for that one. Um, competed really well. Got a pretty good name for myself with him. That was the first time that I've done anything through his organization. Usually they, they track those things. Were you, like, in the top three, top five? And they actually give you, like, a rating system, as far as I know. Right. So through the first day of charting at the Coles camp, I charted third overall in punting average, or I guess punting chart. They have a little algorithm that they compute their distance and their hang time. So I finished third. And then with the Zoner camp, he gave me a tier based. I don't really know where I sat as far as like ranking compared to all the other guys. You know, I just did my own thing. I, I felt comfortable with what I did. I knew I still had to improve on some things, but it was a good experience overall. Good learning curve. Do you think that's where you got discovered by uh, the CFL? I'm not really sure. You know, haven't really thought about that. I have a really good, good agent okay. that, you know, I know she does her work really well. And then really good game film from throughout my career. And then, you know, I'm sure the camps probably helped it as well. But to say that that's the one reason that I got recognized, I don't, I don't know if I'd say that necessarily. Another first for pros like us. You're the first guy that we've talked to that participated in uh, the Dream Bowl. What did you take from that experience? It was definitely a learning experience more than anything. You know, there were a lot of scouts there that were monitoring your every move. Um, so that was a little bit different. You know, like I'd walk down to a meeting room, some guy would pull his phone out and look at what time it was and see how early I was, and then 
you know, as far as the practices, I don't know what they were doing or thinking during that time, but definitely felt like they were all eyes on you no matter what you were doing. And it was a, it was a pretty weird feeling, but I feel like I handled myself pretty well during the whole time. So the Dream Bowl takes place in January for those of our listeners that don't know. And it's FCS, D2, D3 players. And you were voted uh, special teams MVP. So I would imagine that that part of it worked out pretty well, right? Any positive feedback from that week? Oh, yeah. You know, it was definitely fun. It was good to uh, to meet a lot of faces and see some old from teams that I've played against. You know, and then obviously game time when my number's called. I got to do what I got to do. But, yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. Definitely a good experience, you know, kind of the best way to say it. All right. Now, I know Alex asked you about the CFL. They got a contract. So did anybody from the CFL talk to you that week? No, I actually have not talked to any of the staff yet. I'm hoping that something happens here soon. I actually just signed the contract last night. I've been told after the contract is signed, then that's when I'll start getting some phone calls and, and hearing some voices. All right. So let's go beyond the, the Dream Bowl, you know, get into like February, March, April. Take us through just maybe like a typical day, you know, kind of what, what your process is and then maybe some of the things that you've improved on, worked on since that time. Um, as far as like during this off season. After the Dream Bowl ends, you come home and just maybe just like a typical day or week or. Oh, yeah. So my family owns a 26 acre ballpark here in Knoxville, Tennessee. So that's what I'm doing as far as like working and, you know, the typical day. I find time to train three, four times a week. I also train at D1 just to, you know, stay in shape and train more like an athlete. I train with a a high school coach here in Knoxville that has developed five Under Armour All-Americans in the past decade. You know, so he's got a really good reputation. I He knows what he's doing, obviously, to, to have that many All-American high school specialists. What have you learned about yourself, Andrew, through this process, training and, and chasing this dream and uh, playing in the professional leagues? What have you learned about yourself and just – what are the lessons that you've taken away from this? I'm still learning how good I really can be. I, I'm still learning all the potential that I can have. I actually was thinking about it last night, you know, just through everything and then signing the contract and finally making it real. I've realized how mentally tough I've handled myself throughout my athletic career. Obviously, you signed the contract with the CFL team with Montreal. Is the NFL still in the back of your mind after, you know, wrapping up the season in the CFL? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens as far as the NFL when that time comes. You know, I'm looking forward to just getting into Canada and, and making the team and then, you know, playing my first season. So like Alex said, I mean, the NFL is still out there. We don't really see many specialists get drafted. There's maybe like one or two guys a year. How do you separate yourself? You went to these camps and so forth. Uh, I would imagine everybody's got a strong leg. They're all, you know, physically able to do the job. How do you separate yourself or how did you separate yourself from the other punters and kickers? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Like there's a lot of guys that have really big legs, really strong, powerful kicks. You know, definitely a lot stronger than I am, but I think my consistency just throughout the whole camps and, you know, comparing myself to other guys 
my consistency was definitely one of the best things that helped me, you know, out of the three weekends and however many punts I ended up kicking, you know, I probably had three that I wasn't happy with. And then the rest of them were all spiral turned over, you know, each kick obviously can have some more improvement, but at the end of the day, I was happy with what I, how I performed. All right, Andrew. Well, again, congratulations on the contract. Obviously, you know, step one of the next journey, I guess, is on its way. We wish you the best of luck there. Uh, give you an opportunity now, if you'd like, to uh, shout out your social media handles or plug anything you like. Yeah, my uh, my Instagram is Drew underscore Foss12. That's really probably where I'm the most active. Not really too active on social media in general, but you know, that'd probably be the best place to follow. And of course, now the Montreal Alouettes. So, all right, again, right. we right. thank you, Andrew, for being our first punter kicker. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you, guys. I had a blast. All right, best of luck to you in Montreal. And uh, who knows, you might get a call from an NFL team as well. <laughs> thank you, guys. All right, take care. You too. Draft is coming up. And uh, everybody who's anybody has a uh, mock draft out there. Let's take a look at just the top five, because I think if we just added another mock draft, everybody would be even more confusing. But okay, right at the top, Jacksonville sitting there at number one. Dumpster fire last year. They bring in Doug Peterson, and it seems like the adults have uh, really taken charge of the situation, again, from the outside looking in. Franchise tag to Cam Robinson, so... Are they set at offensive line? You'd like to think so. You got to believe, you know, Hutchinson from Michigan or uh, Trayvon Walker getting some some run here for the top pick. Do you think they go any other way? Do you think these are basically the two guys they're looking at? Yeah, I think it's defensive line all the way just because they re-signed Cam Robinson. They also have a solution at right tackle as well. It seems like Trent Baalke has mentioned that Jawan Taylor is safe. He is his right tackle, so that's a vote of confidence as as far as I'm concerned. Even though he hasn't proven to be a reliable tackle in this league, but they did take him in the second round early a couple of years ago. So they seem set at left tackle, at right tackle in 2022. And then don't forget this, they drafted Walker Little with the 45th overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. And he could play left tackle or right tackle. So they've got a young guy, a swing guy, that they had high hopes for when they drafted him last year. So Little was had a lot of regard. I mean, but for his injury, he could have been like a top 15 pick, right? I think they think very highly of Little. If Taylor doesn't work out, I think Little is going to be able to step in. Tackle is definitely out. I think they won't address the offensive line, and it's either Hutchinson or it's going to be Walker. You have to go with the guy that I think can play like in multiple schemes, that can play like multiple positions, a guy that has that versatility. Sometimes you try to go with the sexy pick, a guy that blows you out of the water, a guy that played in the SEC but just had an outstanding combine. But I would go with Hutchinson because he seems like the safer pick. He seems like a guy that's coming on because he had a great junior year. And I think the sky is the limit for him. I think he's closer to guys like J.J. Watt. I think he's closer to guys like Joey Bosa or guys like Chris Long. 
I just think you have to go with Hutchinson here because it just it makes too much sense. You need help on the defensive line. You can't take a guy that's a flash in the pan. And if you do take Walker, you know, the Lions are going to be on the clock and they'll take Hutchinson, the homegrown product, in a matter of five or ten seconds. So they, they won't waste time to get that card up. You would think. I mean, going back, I mean, if you look at Trent Baalke's history, you go back to the 2011 draft, and I think you, the way you were describing it, maybe even without thinking it, was Alden Smith. You know, from Missouri, maybe he didn't have as much production, but again, a twitchy athlete, a lot of potential, higher ceiling, and nobody knew that J.J. Watt was going to become J.J. Watt. But you had him and Robert Quinn and Cam Jordan. These guys were all, you know, kind of in that group. And Balky ends up, you know, going with Alden Smith, kind of the upside guy, and was great for a bit. But eventually, you know, had some personal issues, and that was a whole different story. But being devil's advocate here and maybe Balky sticking to his guns, I mean, do you think maybe that makes a little bit stronger case for Trayvon Walker or uh, Thibodeau from Oregon. Some people never learn. You know this, Lou. They always feel like, hey, I, I took a chance last time. Alden Smith gave me a couple of good years. I think Walker has even more potential and doesn't have those personal issues. GMs are stubborn, just like head coaches are. They take a chance on one guy. It doesn't work out, but they're willing to see some of those traits and then they're like hey it's gonna work out the second time and if it's not gonna work out a second time it's gonna work out a third time but sometimes you have to learn from your past mistakes and Hutchinson had a great 2021 campaign 14 sacks 16 and a half tackles for loss three pass deflections two forced fumbles one fumble recovery again for some reason heard this narrative a little bit for some reason people think that Hutchinson might not have the upside of some of these other guys like Walker, like Thibodeau, I tend to disagree. Hutchinson is not like a finished product. He isn't a guy that has produced like enormous numbers over the first three years of Michigan. He peaked as a junior. Some people are saying, oh, one-year wonder. I don't think so. I think he's got just as much upside as these some of these other guys. He's a unique player, has a unique skill set, and I think to me, it's a no-brainer. For the number one overall pick because sometimes you got to go with the safer guy and sometimes he turns out to be the best one because we've heard some things about Thibodeau as far as some off the field concerns some character concerns maybe he doesn't love football and Walker to me is a flash in the pan because I haven't seen that production from him on the football field against big time competition. Is he going to stick to his guns? Does the leopard change his spots, or in this case, the Jaguar? So Trayvon Walker, could this be, you know, a, a little bit of a smoke screen? I would imagine, you know, they say it's lying season. I don't know if anybody, if there's a player at the top of this draft that somebody from beneath would be willing to trade up, give up a lot of capital to come up and get. Is anybody that good that you'd be willing to give up a lot of excess capital? I don't know that that happens. Uh, maybe some smaller moves, you know, maybe three or four picks up. If there's a guy that you, you know, they really want and it really is not going to cost you that much. But for a team in the teens to come up, you know, if these receivers start to fall a little bit. 
hard to say. Yeah, Thibodeau, you know, maybe maybe he just likes being a football player, doesn't you know, loves being a football player, not loves playing football. Brand aware. Uh he's looking to capitalize on off the field stuff, which there's nothing wrong with that. And in this day and age, perhaps you know, that's just kind of the way things are going to continue to go. Still a lot of athletic ability, still a great talent, but let's see who kind of pulls that trigger and when. So Jacksonville, we're, we're thinking, is going to be one of these one of these big-time edge rushers. So let's say Jacksonville does the chalk thing and they take Hutchinson. Now Detroit's sitting there looking at Walker, Thibodeau, perhaps Sauce Gardner. Is that too high for a corner? Is that too high for this corner? So a lot of questions there. Still got all those offensive tackles. You know, Iquanu, Cross, Neal, those names definitely have been there around the top five. So if you're Detroit, what's your best value here? I mean, where, where are you looking? Trade the pick. The lines are a couple of years away. And I just think there will be plenty of teams that will be willing to move up either for a tackle or Trayvon Walker. So I think the Lions are smart enough to drop back. I'm not saying out of the top 10, but I'm sure there will be a few teams willing to move up to that number two spot. To me, it's a no-brainer with the GM that's in his second year, with Dan Campbell there in his second year. I don't think Thibodeau is Campbell's type of guy because Campbell is a blue-collar dude. If Thibodeau lives up to his billing and becomes a good player, like say like a Jadavian Clowney type of player, it's a good player. But I don't think it's worthy of a top five pick. Is Thibodeau going to be a Khalil Mack? Then the Lions will regret it. But I don't think that Thibodeau fits this blue-collar mentality um, that the Lions are trying to build. You know, they've got guys that are just hungry. They're playing hard for their coach. They proved it last year. And I just think they're building a culture there. Thibodeau is kind of one of these sexy, flashy Guys, that I don't think is going to give you 100% every time. I think that's going to drive Campbell the wrong way. That's why Thibodeau is not going to be the pick here. Playing against Pac-12 tackles versus, you know, uh, Walker playing against SEC tackles and guards. I would imagine that's going to enter into it as well. Yeah, I guess it just depends on your flavor. And again, as far as the trade is concerned, I think that would be a good move because they're not just one player away. But again, who's going to come up to do it? Uh, perhaps, you know, the Giants try to jump the Jets, depending on, you know, who falls or, or where Detroit goes. Or do they want to get, you know, go up to number two to guarantee that they get whoever. Maybe maybe they've fallen in love with Thibodeau or with uh, Sauce Gardner, and they feel that maybe the Jets would want either one of those guys. So I, like you said, I guess that would be the best possibility is to just that small jump for one New York team to get ahead of the other. I just think the Lions, like, they don't need a tackle. They've got Taylor Decker left tackle, and they drafted Panay Sewell last year and he's their right tackle so they're set there as far as their defensive line needs they've got brockers they've got mcneil they've got Onwazariki, who they drafted last year charles harris had a good year for the lines he's still there so i don't think that's like a huge need you always need defensive linemen and you always need you know playmakers on that side but i don't think it's a huge need they need a wide receiver They need a quarterback as far as I'm concerned, but you don't take one at number two. Plus, you also don't take a corner at number two unless he's just an out-of-this-world athlete. 
Sauce Gardner is a good player. I like him, but you don't take him at number two. I think the Lions should have learned a lesson when they drafted Jeff Akuda a couple of years back with, at number three, and he hasn't worked out. I mean, he was a lost puppy as a rookie. Then he got injured last year, so it's still up in the air what he could do. Different regime, though, right? I mean, you had a different front office at that point. So, you know, again, I mean, this is more of a, I guess, that Rams flavor with Holmes being in, in charge this year. True. But they're still, like, stuck with Akuda, and they're still trying to make yeah, it work. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yep. So I think the Lions should trade back and then evaluate the situation because if you drop back a little bit, maybe you can make a case that you draft one of those quarterbacks in the top 10 and kind of groom him to be the guy in, in 2023. But again, I don't know that the Jets or the Giants, really, and again, just as I'm thinking about this now is, yeah, I guess it might, you know, if you just want to scoop the other team, but by the same token, neither of those teams are really in a position to kind of, again, give up a lot of capital for one particular player because, you know, whether, I mean, not, you still have the three offensive linemen available. You've got Sauce Gardner sitting there, depending on who Detroit takes. And like you said, they're probably not going to take Thibodeau, uh, may not take Gardner. So maybe the pick there then becomes Trayvon Walker. Now you've got Houston sitting there three. They also have 13. So again, they've got some ammunition to move. But again, they're a team that needs as many uh, blue chip type players as possible. So maybe they don't really want to give up a bunch of capital to move up. Are we on the same page here that Walker would be the pick if Hutchinson goes first? Yes. If the Lions don't trade it, I think they go Walker. Yeah. So now you got Houston at three. You've got the three tackles. You've got Tibbett. So, again, I think it's all the same players. I don't know if the names are going to change much in this top five, right? I got to believe one of those offensive linemen is coming off now. Yeah, absolutely. So you have Laramie Tunsil left tackle, but you still haven't solved the issue at right tackle. I mean, who do they have? Like Titus Howard, who was like a late first-round pick a couple of years back, but he hasn't worked out. I think it would be wise to draft the right tackle because— in today's NFL, you need to have a left tackle and a right tackle, all right? This isn't like 20 years ago where you had a premium left tackle protecting the blind side, and then the right tackle would just be average. Right now, teams need both, and it's either Evan Neal, Aquano, you know, from NC State. I just think you, you got to go in that direction because, I mean, he could play like different positions. Maybe it's a possibility that... You know, you groom him to to be the left tackle of the future. I think the Texans need to go with the safe pick. Usually the safe pick is drafting an offensive tackle in the top 10. And, of course, they can't go wrong. But, you, again, I guess you have a defensive head coach. I don't know if that, you know, how much say that Lovey's going to have in this. I'm sure he'd love to add to that uh, defensive line, pass rushers. Uh, you've got Thibodeau. I mean, obviously, some of, the, some of the other guys sitting there, but Thibodeau would be the one that I think might be that kind of flash that maybe they might not have expected to be sitting there for them. But, yeah, you can't go wrong with an offensive lineman. you got a young quarterback. want to be a, more of a running team. So let's uh, let's get after it that way. And then, like, again, they still have 13 to go after the edge rushers. Quano, Neil, Cross, one of those guys? Or did you kind of settle in on one? I'll take a Quano. I think he's kind of the hot name right now. He's a guy that has played all over the offensive line. I think he can settle in at right tackle while Laramie Tunsil handles the left side. 
Okay, so now I think here is where things start getting interesting because, you know, you've got the Jets that can go in, in many different directions. Is this going to be way too high for a Garrett Wilson or a Drake London? And again, it depends on the flavor receiver they're looking for. Do they want the big body guy or do they want the smooth route runner that can get deep a little bit more often? Jameson Williams, how trustworthy are you of the uh, the recovery to the ACL tear? You know, are you going to be willing to wait on him to be ready to go you know, maybe three, four games into the season? Sauce Gardner still sitting there, which, you know, again, shut down corner. You, you know, at some point, you know, had Darrell Revis in, back in the day. So again, you know, a lot of different ways, you know, and Thibodeau still sitting there. So you got a lot of choices here, and I think the way things have fallen here to the Jets, as well as you know the other two offensive linemen, they've got a decision to make here, and I don't think they can go wrong. I pass on the corner. I'm going to pass on the pass rusher, even though it goes against everything that I always say. Like you address the trenches, that's what you got to do. Like you know, if you can get a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball, do it. I'm going to go with the safe pick. I'm going to go with the right tackle, Evan Neal. Even though, like, Mikai Becton is the left tackle, he hasn't proven to be a reliable enough player so far for the Jets, and he's entering a very crucial third year for himself. But again, like I said with the Texans, you need to have two tackles to protect your million-dollar investment in the future, and we're hoping that they, they strike gold with Zach Wilson during his rookie season, obviously, he had an up and down year, but you got to build that offensive line. You've got the guys on the interior. You've got Elijah Vera Tucker, who you drafted last year in the first round. You signed Lakin Tomlinson. I'm looking at the right tackle position. It's George Fant right now. I don't feel too good about it. So I plug in Evan Neal, offensive tackle from Alabama, to handle the right side. And I'm hoping that Mikai Becton finally lives up to the billing. Now, a name that we haven't brought up yet, Jermaine Johnson has been uh, making the rounds, transferred from Georgia, had a huge year at Florida State, a lot of uh, hype around him in terms of being uh, you know, one of the top three or four edge rushers in this draft, depending on you know the way you look at things. Karloftis is another guy that's been kind of polarizing. You know, you've got some people that have him as like a top 10 player. You've got some that say he might squeeze into the bottom of the round. Either of those guys have a chance here. No. Always surprises, but sure, not yeah. in this way. I think, you know, Jermaine Johnson most likely is going to be a top 10 pick. Karloftis, to me, is, is a late first, early second. There's no way he gets pushed even into the top 20. Top five? I mean, don't make me laugh. See, to me, I think Thibodeau goes here to the Jets if he's available. You know, Salah will find a way to get his motor going. I think just in that defense where he can kind of like pin his ears back and just get after the quarterback on a regular basis, I, I just got to believe that that's, that's the way they would go with that fourth pick if that kid is sitting there. And then perhaps with the 10th pick, take uh, whichever receiver you know, top receivers available to them. Giants at number five. Cross is an, is an interesting name because for Mississippi State, the old lineman, his name's being bandied about. And again, I, I'm sure this is might be media-driven, could be agent-driven, you know, whatever. But anyway, his name is coming across. So somebody in the NFL does like him. Do you see him perhaps being in that in the running for the Giants there at number five? No, 
I think the Giants drafted their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, two years ago, and he's been their left tackle there. As a rookie, he struggled. Last year, he took a step forward. To me, it just doesn't make sense. Charles Cross is a left tackle, and the Giants believe that Andrew Thomas is a left tackle. Cross can't play right tackle out there. He's more nimble. He's more of kind of a blindside protector. I think Cross goes sixth to the Panthers if they stay there and they take a tackle over a quarterback, which I'm sure they would, to protect Sam Darnold for the future. So I think the Giants pass on the offensive lineman here. Like I said, it could be a cornerback, low as far as I'm concerned. This could be the pick. Well, a cornerback. Yeah, just do you, th- a do you think Stingley? Do you think people are have a, enough of an appetite or are willing to forgive the last two years for Derek Stingley? No, I think it's Sauce Gardner that's going to be the pick here. If he gets past the Jets, I don't think he gets past the Giants. That's my pick here. I mean, you made the pick of Thibodeau for the Jets. I said it's Evan Neal. I think Sauce Gardner is going to be the pick here because I just don't see the shutdown corner for the Giants. I don't. And they need one. I think they've addressed the defensive line last year. They did that. I mean, they've got Leonard Williams there, and then they've got Ajolari. He's kind of that edge rusher, that 3-4 outside linebacker. So they've got the guys. They've spent money there. I don't think they go Thibodeau here, even if he's available. I think they go corner because they know that, hey, they got to match up against some of those guys in that division. The Giants have been trying to solve that issue at corner for the longest time. And to me, you know, when I've got Adoree Jackson and James Bradbury on the roster, doesn't make me feel too confident in the secondary. Yeah, Bradbury's been, you know, rumored to be trade piece. I don't know if anybody's willing to trade for that, you know, $13 million that he's owed. You know, is he going to be a post-June 1 release? Will somebody pull the trigger on draft day? I mean, late round pick, and maybe the you know the Giants pay part of that salary. I don't know, but uh, that just lends more to your theory there that perhaps that this is where uh, the sauce goes, and he does still end up in New York just for the Giants and not the Jets. So that's the top five there for you, gang. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thanks again to our guest. Yes, punters and kickers are people too. I'll say it again. It was great having Andrew on. I mean, it's just uh, it's always great to get a different perspective on the game. So that was uh, that was fun for me. So for Alex, I'm Lou. Until next week. Peace.